Gopper and the T1 of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his weekly appearance, his weekly Monday appearance, is the managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. On Monday, uh, for the electronic pages of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron wrote about service time and team control for young players uh, in response mostly to reports, recent reports, the Houston Astros had offered George Springer, that is excellent outfield prospect George Springer, a seven-year contract extension even before he had recorded a single major league appearance. With that article in mind, what follows, whether intentionally or not, uh, acts as a sort of primer, a sort of primer of service time and team control, etc., etc. I also ask Cameron how those considerations might concern the Chicago White Sox decision to offer an extension to Jose Quintana, five-year extension, with a clause regarding uh, Jose Quintana's possible Super 2 status. I also discussed Super 2 status. Also, anyone listening to this edition of Fangraphs Audio will be rewarded with an explanation uh, for the context behind this comment that Dave Cameron makes. Barry Zito could be your navigator, so instead of having your smartphone, Barry Zito is just like, turn left here. It's Fangraphs Audio. It features managing editor Dave Cameron, and it begins right now. cell phone uh i don't know about a lot i get some they're almost always the dark overlord oh they are yeah do you ever work the phones much like a maybe like a ken rosenthal or john paul morrissey not anything to to their extent i more work the texting uh but uh even then not not anywhere near as prolific as uh someone trying to find out actual news yeah are you uh do you ever pick anyone's mind via via text I do occasionally. Pick a brain. I guess pick a brain. You pick a brain. Yeah, right. I, I mean, yeah. Occasionally, I will uh, reach out to someone and be like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" Or, uh, yeah, yes, I do. Is do, I think the answer you're looking for. Do you have high level contacts? Uh, well, it depends on on what your definition of high. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty Bill Clinton answer, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, do you ever uh, do you ever receive? Um, information from a from a source with a source familiar. Wait, what is the usual uh, citation? Familiar, familiar with the situation. Yeah, familiar well, with the situation. Yeah, uh, it's sometimes depending on the situation. I will, I will disclose. Uh, I'm not texting with Bud Selig during the day. He, oh, okay. I don't think he's much of a texter. He's not turning so, to you. Yeah, if people are like wondering, you know, how high does Dave Cameron's forces go? Yeah, it stop it stops at the commissioner. The commissioner's yeah. office, yeah. not really. Well, there, there might be people in the commissioner's office who text, but I think the commissioner himself, I would be shocked if he had ever sent a text. Oh yeah, I guess if you that he could probably. I mean, he's at a point now, right, where a, a position of power combined with age, where he probably doesn't. I mean, I'm going to guess he actually does text, but my point is that he doesn't, he probably doesn't, he probably tell someone to text for him. Yeah, uh, right. I bet you he will tell his secretary, send out one of those text things. You and think then, he says and that? then, yeah, I, I bet you he says text thing. Yeah. Do we have a, if you were to guess how old the commissioner was, this is actually just turned into a quiz. If you right. were to guess how old, um, I, I think what, he's Alan Bob Seelig? 79. You're going to go with 79? I believe that. Somewhere in that range. That is uh, that is up there, I guess. Alan, yeah, Alan Huber, Bud Selig, was born in '34. So yeah, he turns uh, yeah he turns uh, 80 this year. <laughs> that was a pretty good guess. Pretty good. Yeah. 
Pretty good, Dave Cameron. Well, that's uh, that's that's our podcast for today. Right. This is Dave Cameron analyzing all ages. Yeah. So yeah, save, this has been uh, yeah, that's been full of uh, full of information. Um. Yeah. Hey, you. Uh, well, I don't know. Is that good for introductory patter? Sure. Okay. I think that's better than a normal patter. Let's forget. Let's forget. Let's let's pretend for a second, Dave Cameron, that uh, that I am uh, that I don't necessarily know everything that's going on. Uh, with all of these sort of uh, laws governing um, playing time and and uh, contractual obligations in baseball, let's just pretend for a second. Okay, I will. I will continue to pretend that as I always have. Okay, all right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and as we begin to address a piece you wrote for today with regard to uh, team control, team control of young players. Yeah. Not typically young players. It has to do with service time, right? Right. You can control old players. Right. You can if control they're ter- them. They're terrible, and you call them up late. You can control them until until they've recorded, until uh, the, until the season is over, and they have recorded sev- uh, six years of service time. Uh, at least six years of service time. Six yeah. plus years of service time. Six or more, as the CBA states. Six or more. Okay. Yeah. Now, here's my question. Now, as you you point out. And I understand in principle this point, which is that teams really exercise control for seven years. Yes. Um, because they don't, because frequently have we seen, uh, we have frequently see a team call up a hot prospect, a promising young player, um, n- n- uh, not on opening day, but sometime, what, in late April, early May, something like that? Yeah, I think uh, you have to keep them down for basically two weeks. Two weeks, so. okay. Yeah. Now, how exactly what is a one year of service time? What is that equal to? 172 days on the major league roster. Okay. And, and that does not necessarily mean games. Obviously, each team only plays 162 games per year. Uh, but off days count as service. If you're, you know, if you play on a Monday and then you don't play again until Wednesday, you get credit for the Tuesday that you don't play, assuming that you weren't optioned out on that Tuesday. Okay, so 172 days. D- correct. Now, first question: Does that change year to year? No, it's always 172 days. So they could have actually they could have written in the CBA you need 1,032 days of major league service for free agency because that's six times 172. Okay, what is the logic so far as you know behind 172 days? Uh, well, so the number of days you define a service year is a little bit arbitrary. I mean, you know, you just have to kind of pick a number. Uh, I believe the the union and the league picked that because it's uh, almost an entire full season. So there's something like 180-ish days, 182, somewhere in that range, uh, from opening day to the end of the season um, for each team, just consecutively. If you started at opening day and went to the end of the year, you end up in like the low 180s. Uh, so they picked a number that's just shy of that. Uh, why they didn't go the full number, I'm assuming, is because they you know, didn't want people getting optioned out uh, for one day in order to get around the window. So now we have a, you know, they get optioned out for... 12 days or 14 days or whatever the number actually is. Okay, right. So, yeah, so as you say, roughly two weeks. Yeah. Um, okay, so it's 172 days. And um, so, wait, so, so, oh, yeah, so so I guess my my next question was what does the union think of that? But as you mentioned, this is a degree, this is part of the CBA. Um, and the union, if I'm not mistaken, is not always necessarily, does not always protect young players as much as it does older players. They don't. So, like, George Springer is actually, he, he was the impetus for this article because the Astros offered him a seven-year contract, 
uh, even though he's never played in the major leagues yet, he's actually not a member of the union because he's not been added to the 40 man roster. Uh, so he's, he's not paying union dues. He's not considered a, uh, a union member. Um, but they are still, uh, considering the situation because he will be a union member in a couple of months. Um, but historically the players association has a little bit of a history of trading the rights of future members for the rights of current members, which, you know, most unions do that as well. Okay. Let me ask a, a couple more idiots questions. Again, okay. for sake of perfect clarity. Right. Totally hypothetically, as if I did not know all of these rules already. Right. <clears throat> what does a September promotion for a minor league player do or mean in terms of service time? Generally nothing. Uh, so it, you can accrue service time in September. It does count those days on the roster. But if you have not been called up really in July and beyond, those service days are unlikely to do anything for you in the long term. Uh, because you need those 172 days to qualify for free agency, realistically, if you get called up after May, you're not getting credit for a full calendar year. If you were like Mike Trout and you got called up at the end of the year, you played some in the second half, then they would have to keep you down a little bit longer the next year in order to push your service time back. They wouldn't be able to do it the two weeks because you already got some service time the year before. But generally, if you're going to call up a player at the end of the year, or say in September, and you're thinking about carrying that player the next year, uh, you're probably not in the situation where you're going to do the service time manipulation thing. Uh, this is one of the reasons why the Astros didn't call up George Springer last year, in addition to the fact that he wasn't on the 40-man roster, so they would have had to uh, save a spot for him all winter. Uh, now they don't have to hold him down quite as long uh, because he didn't accrue any service time last September. Um, but, you know, in terms of Super 2, uh, you know, if you're if you're coming up in September, you're not going to get anywhere close to the service time deadline anyway. Okay. And then one last question with regard to this, and then I would like to talk about some specific cases. As you mentioned, Springer, uh, we could go back in time, not literally, uh, but in uh, in our in this world, um, and we could discuss Evan Longoria, um, and maybe even Jose Quintana, who just uh, signed an extension today. Maybe let's say today. Yeah, a few hours ago. A few hours ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, with regard to the disabled list, how does that affect service time, if at all? So you do accrue service time on the disabled list, and this is one of the maybe more interesting points and, and points where the league and the Players Association have gotten into some fights, is uh, if you are injured, you cannot be optioned back to the minor leagues uh, if you can prove you were injured while in the major league. So if you're uh, a prospect of some note and uh, you're in the major leagues and your elbow starts hurting, the team cannot send you to the minor leagues and then put you on the minor league disabled list in order to stop you from accruing service time. They have to put you on the major league disabled list, and you get service time the entire time, even if you're, if you're out for the year. So Matt Harvey is going to get a year of service for not pitching this year. Steven Strasburg got a year of service for recovering from Tommy John surgery. And occasionally we've seen instances where, whether knowingly or not, a team has sent a young player out uh, to the minor leagues, and then, you know, subsequently, you know, a week or two later, or whatever, the player says, hey, I'm actually injured, and I was injured in the major league, so now you have to call me back up, put me on the major league disabled list, and pay me a major league salary uh, while I'm rehabbing this injury. You don't get to send me to the minors, pay me a minor league service salary, and prevent me from accruing time, and teams have uh, had to do that. They've had to uh, basically void the option and call the guy back up and put him on the major league disabled list. Yeah, that would uh, that seems to um, create could create a fraught situation on all on all sides because certainly there is an ethic within the game. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. That if you're a young player, especially, and you want to prove that you deserve to be on the major league roster, 
and you want to keep uh, playing in the major leagues, that you would not necessarily report an injury if you thought that you could play through it. Right, and it actually kind of the the scams can go the other way. There are uh, a history of you know not a lot, but but some players have basically not told teams about injuries that they've sustained in the minor leagues, knowing that if they withheld that information, they might get called up. They could then report that information once they get to the major leagues, collect service time and a pension and all the good things that go along with being on the major major league disabled list. I believe there was a pitcher named Jorge Campillo who did this with the Mariners a few years ago. Uh, basically needed Tommy John surgery, didn't tell anyone, just kept pitching through it. Uh, got called up as an emergency starter. Uh, the team needed a, a guy to fill in. He threw like four pitches, walked off the mound, and was like, hey, my elbow hurts, I need Tommy John. And they had to put him on the major league disabled list. Um, and, and, no, and what are the rules of the – how long do you have to be on a roster to collect a pension? Just one day? I believe once you're on the 40-man roster and you're accepted into the union, then the the pension rules apply. Okay. Uh, what is the what is the oldest player, um, to sort of to get to his six years of of service time? I mean, in recent memory, it doesn't have to be the oldest, but like, can you think of one or two older players who have gotten to it sort of later in their career than you than one might normally expect? I mean, this isn't that recent, but what, Billy Taylor with the A's, when he, he was like a really old closer. I think he was like a 33 or 34 year old rookie when he was called up. So he, his, the end of his, uh, service time window would have been when he was like 38 or 39. Uh, also basically any player who comes over from Japan towards the end of their career and does not get kind of the opt out void of the six year window, uh, you know, like some players, uh, Hideki Matsui, for instance, signed a three year deal with the Yankees and then they, negotiated into the deal that he became a free agent after those three years. It's not that the Yankees continued to own his rights. Um, but if you don't get one of those opt-outs, if you're, you know, maybe more of a, a lower-key um, uh, free agent signing and the team says, no, we're buying six years of rights and you're 35 years old, uh, they can control your rights for, for quite a while. I think this is the case with Koji Uehara, actually. Um, I can't be certain off the top of my head, but I think he didn't get an opt-out. Uh, and so he, his rights have been under team control this entire time. Well, yeah, and so the, uh, the next question would, re- would relate to uh, both two Japanese players who had not established an opt-out. Um, and uh, also uh, I was thinking with regard to um, major leaguers who had signed – or I should say players who had signed major league contracts out of the draft, which is not um, permitted any longer under the, the current CBA, but, for example, applies to Steven Strasburg. Right. Uh, and I'm sure other players. How how does that arrangement? We'll, we'll look at it with regard to Stephen Strasburg, for example. Uh, well, how does that? Basically just one one moment. Can you hear that in the background? Yeah. Hi, hi, hi Callie. No, that's not. That's my grandfather. Uh, oh well, it sounds very much like your wife. I mean, no, that's CNN. Hey, Grandpa. That's a little. That's a little bit on the loud side. The television. Yeah, I think. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. He keeps putting this is uh, podcast gold right here. Huh? This is podcasting I think gold. Maybe, maybe mute it, Grandpa. I'll be done not too long. All right. <clears throat> there you go. Uh, what's the thing we were talking about, Dave Cameron? Um, Baseball. Yeah. Right. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, so with, with regard to Steven Strasburg and older yeah. players who had. Major league contracts, right? Yeah. 
How does that affect service time? Because they're being they're being placed on the forty man right away. Although being placed in the forty man obviously is different than playing in the major leagues. Correct. So you don't get actually you don't get service time for being put on the forty man roster. You only get service time if you're on the active twenty five man roster or on the major league disabled list. So being put on the forty man roster uh, enables you to join the union uh, and causes the team to have to use options in order to send you to the minor leagues. Um, but it does not begin accruing service time. So if you sign a major league contract out of the draft, or you can't anymore, but if you used to, you did not immediately begin accruing service time. What it did was narrow the window that a team could keep you in the minor leagues because they had to use options to send you out every time. So if you sign a, a minor league contract now out of the draft, which is what everyone has to do, uh, you they can just send you to the minor leagues arbitrarily uh, for X number of seasons, three or general, usually three, sometimes four. Then they have to add you to the 40-man roster. Then they have three more options. So they can send you to the minor leagues basically for five or six years. If you had a major league contract, they only send you out three, maybe four times. And the, the three versus four years of depends on the age of my right, right. So I assume it's like international signees and correct. School, if you're if you're, if you're if you're younger, uh, and it kind of depends on relative to like if you if it's considered your age 18 season versus your age 19 season. Uh, you can qualify for a fourth option year, um, but it's basically younger players or players who uh, were young for that year uh, get qualified for an extra option year. But it's you know not all that common. Okay, all right. So now we come to the case of George Springer, and George Springer's case is interesting uh, because I, I believe it's the first. It represents the first instance where, if he had accepted the contract offer, a minor leaguer would have been signed. Before he made even one plate appearance in the major league level. Correct. Uh, the funny thing is, we were—I was actually discussing this with a couple of people on our Arizona trip, uh, not relating to George Springer, but with Byron Buxton. Like, uh, should the Twins right now approach Byron Buxton and offer him a long-term contract, and what would it cost to sign Buxton, given that he's probably going to spend most of the year in the minor leagues, and you know what kind of risk does he put on himself? in terms of his own future projection, and I thought it was kind of a fascinating case that I didn't think we would see anytime soon. And then a few days later, the Astros are uh, offering $23 million to a guy who's not as good as Byron Buxton. So uh, I find the, the economic question of, the, of the, the risk of signing a player who's not major league ready probably more fascinating than the service time rules question. Right. So, so with, regard to, with regard to Springer, it was, what, 723? That that was the reported offer. It almost certainly included a couple team options for his couple first few free agent years. So my guess is they probably was like seven twenty three with you know maybe team options at nine or ten or eleven million dollars or something like that. So if those options were picked up, it would have turned into something like nine forty or nine fifty or something in that range. Okay, so we don't have obviously as I noted, the minor league players never been signed to this sort of contract, so we don't have precedent so far as that is concerned. So we don't know if that's necessarily uh, – a judge simply on those terms, we don't know if that's a good deal or a bad deal for one or the other cl- team or player. However, obviously the, uh, um, every day or not every day, but more and more uh, players have signed extensions, so we have precedent at least so far as that is concerned. If, if a 723 deal with options for Springer, where does that, where does that fall um, if, you know, if he had agreed to that? And what and what what do all those things imply for, for example, um, maybe extending Byron Buxton before he records a plate appearance? Right. So the big question usually in all of these deals is how much do you project for the player to make an arbitration? So in almost every case, the players can be projected to make you know around two million dollars in their pre-arbitration years. If you assume they're uh, not going to be a super two player, so they're going to have three shots at 
you know, pre-arb years, they're going to make between five and six hundred thousand dollars in those years. So you're going to make you know one point six, one point seven million dollars, something like that in those first three pre-arbitration years. And everyone, no matter how good they are, is going to make something in that range. Uh, so the question on these long-term deals is how much are you projecting the player to make in his three arbitration years? Uh, for Mike Trout, one of the reasons his extension is going to be so expensive for the Angels is we can project based on what he's already done. He's going to get something like, you know, $50 million in arbitration, maybe $60 million. He's going to get some kind of massive record arbitration awards. So that money is almost already guaranteed because there's no way the Angels are ever going to non-tender Mike Trout. Uh, with Springer, you really don't know this far in advance what his arbitration payouts might might be. So you really have to do some projecting and look at, you know, Here's the path we think he's on. Here's his, you know, 75th percentile projection. Here's his 90th percentile. Here's his 10th percentile. In, in pretty much any case where he's on the lower end of things, uh, it would be a non-tender. He would just not get any money for those years. So, um, but if you're looking at Springer and you say, okay, I think he's a, you know, an above average major league player, could turn into a star, uh, or at least a borderline star, depending on his contact rate. You know, maybe we would project that, in arbitration in, you know, basically what will be four or five, six years from now, uh, by the time he qualifies for arbitration, we're looking at, you know, maybe a, a grand total of 30, 40, 50 million dollars, depending on how you project inflation, how you, how you project Springer's future value, uh, whatever Springer's agent calculated clearly thought it was higher than 23 million because that's why he didn't, uh, sign the deal the, the Astros took. So, um, it's not an easy calculation to make because you're so far away and you don't have any major league performance in order to judge it on. Uh, so it's kind of up to the player in order to say, you know, how much am I willing to bet on myself? And I think for a guy like Springer, who was a first-round pick and got a $2 million signing bonus, it's easier to bet on himself than if he was a 15th-round pick and got $1,000 as a senior sign and had never gotten a significant paycheck in his life. George Springer's already fairly rich, assuming he didn't squander all of his money. Um I think it's probably harder to do these kinds of deals with guys like that who have already gotten one significant paycheck than it is with a guy who, you know, is still making thirty, forty thousand dollars a year on a double A contract. Right. Well, yeah, and Springer seems like a player who might have a sort of higher variance of possible outcomes given his lack of contact. Does that, does that seem reasonable to say? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's certainly ways you can see George Springer turning into a, you know, a thirty thirty. Uh, plus defensive outfielder, and there's ways you can see him turning into an absolute nothing whose power doesn't play because he can't hit the ball. Right. I mean, he could, he, and he could be. I mean, it's like, it seems totally within the realm of possibility, right? He could be Chris Young or something like this, right? Right. Or he could be Drew Stubbs. Right. I mean, he, or anything in between. Or he could be, you know, Mike Cameron. I mean, there's a there's a wide range of right. of potential outcomes for for any prospect, but probably a wider range for a guy like. Springer. Right, he doesn't have the contact. Now, uh, with regard to Jose Quintana, Quint- yep. what are you saying? Quintana? Quintana? Quint- I think Quintana. Quintana, probably. I think, was, that's what I was yep. starting with. This yep. is, uh, it's actually, uh, what we said, 723 was, was allegedly offered to Springer. This is, uh, 521. Well, it's, uh, so it's a little tricky. Uh, okay. it's 527 or 522, uh, depending on whether Quintana qualifies as a Super 2 at the end of the year or not. So basically they've baked the Super 2 possibility into the contract uh, because he has 133 days of service, which is going to be pretty close to the bubble. And so if he qualifies as a Super 2 and would have gone to arbitration four times, he'll get $26.5 million. If he missed the cutoff and would have only gone to arbitration three times, they give him $21.5 million. Okay, now we're talking about um, Super 2 with regard to service time, and how is that calculated? 
So the clause in the CBA basically says the top 16% of all players in service time, not by performance, uh, but based on number of days of service in the big leagues that have at least two years of service, but not three years of service, uh, will qualify for arbitration a fourth time. So they get, they get it a year early, essentially. So if you, uh, you know, Springer's a good example. If the Astros decide in two or three weeks that they want to call up George Springer, they've held him down long enough in order to get past the free agent line, but they say, you know what, he's majorly ready. We want him on the roster right now. We want him, you know, May 1st, whatever. Uh, he'll, qualify as a Super 2 almost certainly because he'll accrue something like 150, 155 days of Major League Service this year. The bar is usually around the 125-ish day range. It depends on when everyone calls people up because it's a sliding scale of the top 16%, but usually it's in that 110 to 130 day range. Um, so a guy with 150 plus days would almost be a guaranteed Super 2, which means he would get four shots at arbitration. Uh, notable guys who've been Super 2 players are Buster Posey, David Price, Tim Lincecum, uh, I think Ryan Howard was a Super 2. You can really escalate your salaries pretty quickly if you get that fourth bite at arbitration, because instead of having that third minimum year, you get to service, you get to arbitration early, and you establish your salary at, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight million dollars, uh, and you can really go up quickly from there. So Super 2, it seems to be, uh, a sort of, it's, it's almost, uh, maybe a dare, or it, it's not, it's obviously, uh, for a club with a, um, a prospect with a bright future, um, as you've noted, they have a way to sort of eschew this, uh, the idea of service time, right? To eschew the service time so they have seven years of control as opposed to six. But then there's this other sort of uh, uh, intermediate tier um, that rewards young players whose teams maybe held them down for those two weeks, um, and yet w- with the idea of um, getting by the service time rules, but still compensates them um, in their own way. Correct. So basically it's a two-tiered system. If you get held down for two weeks but not longer than two and a half months approximately, uh, then you'll probably be a super two. You'll get four bites of arbitration. And even though you don't have free agency, your arbitration scale is going to be higher than uh, than other players. If you get held for down for three months, uh, then you'll basically get three league minimum years, or three and a half, not, not counting your first year, um, and then you'll get three bites of arbitration. So uh, the most cost-effective way is to hold a, a player down until after mid-June or kind of the beginning of July. It's kind of when the, the Super 2 window passes. And that's why you see, you know, 15 or 20 prospects called up within a couple weeks of each other uh, in the middle of the summer is because at that point you're probably past the Super 2 window and the free agent window is long past. So that's when you get the most bang for your buck for calling a player up. Uh, but it, that also means you've just lost half a season of, of a player's performance. And if you're a contender and, you know, this is the best player on your team at that position, you might not be willing to make that trade of future cost savings in order to play an inferior player for, you know, the first 70 games of the season. Yeah. Hey, uh, Quintana was pretty good last year. 33 starts. Quintana's <laughs> uh, kind of a fascinating case, because I don't, I don't know if you if you know his backstory, but this is his third organization. Uh, he originally signed with the Mets back in, like, 2006. Uh, he failed a drug test in the minor leagues and was released. Uh, then he signed with the Yankees, uh, spent a couple of years in the Dominican Summer League, uh, came over and I think spent like a year and a half in their minor league system in A-ball, but because of the the signing with the Mets, the suspension, uh, and the time that he spent before coming to the U.S., he actually qualified as a minor league six-year free agent after, uh, as a 22-year-old after <laughs> just pitching in A-ball. You, normally the minor league free agents are, you know, guys who've been around forever, AAA veterans, 
Uh, you don't normally get young players with minor league free agents. The, the White Sox signed him as a six-year minor league free agent uh, before the 2012 season, and since then he's been worth something like five and a half wins as a major league starter. Yeah, yeah, it looks like he's. Uh, I mean, he's about an average pitcher. Kind of does everything. Probably a little, a little above average considering his park and the league. I mean, if you in the American League in Chicago, it's not so easy to post the numbers he's posted. He's posted, right? Okay, yeah. So they have a good. They have a pitcher for five five years, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they already had him for yeah. you know, five years. But right. now they've basically bought out his arbitration years. They, I'm sure they got a couple team options. Every single one of these deals comes with one or two or sometimes even three team options if you're Tampa Bay. Uh, so basically they said, we'll give you your money in advance. Uh, you give us options like a couple of your free, free agent years. This is how all these deals work. Now. Right. So in, as, a, as in, I uh, intimated earlier, this, the, the Evan Longoria deal is still the – is that still the earliest ever signed? About it him. is. Yeah. He was, uh, I think, uh, nine days into his major league career or seven days. Basically, the deal was done before they called him up. And they said, you know, sign this contract and we'll call you up. And so, you know, then he came up and they signed it a week later. Okay, yeah. And uh, and you, there's possibility. Now, I, I don't know if this is tampering or if this is illegal or not, but to say we will, if you sign the contract, we will call you up. I, I suppose you can't say anything that explicit. Correct. So, and that's one of the reasons why the union is – uh, making some noises about the Springer deal is because of the fact that he was just optioned back to the minors after they made him the seven-year contract offer. It raises some eyebrows, and, and people wonder whether the Astros basically made a take-it-or-leave-it kind of offer and say, if you sign this, you can make the opening day roster. If you don't, we'll send you to AAA. Uh, you're not allowed to do that, and the, the union would file a grievance. I'm sure the Astros were smart enough to not have any kind of communication where anyone could prove that they said anything close to that. Right. Well, you could also, I mean, it seems as though, and you might mention this as well, you could say, yeah, we want him for seven years. We don't necessarily, we don't necessarily think he's ready to play in the major leagues tomorrow. You could theoretically argue that. Oh yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why the, the, the prospect of a grievance shouldn't scare the Astros at all, because it is not hard at all to make a case that George Springer has 266 plate appearances in AAA, by all rights should spend a couple more months in the minors. Like, for the union to be able to prove that, you know, this isn't them sending Jason Castro down or something. They're not taking a, a proven major league player uh, where there's no defensible reason to send him to the minors in order to just, you know, screw him on service time. George Springer, even without service time considerations, maybe should start the year in the minor leagues. Right. Well, then again, uh, he's probably better than a decent, everyone on the Astros. Yeah. Decent portion of the people, yeah, in it, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, De- Dexter Fowler's not so bad. No, right. I mean, yeah. they have a few decent players. Jose Altuve is okay. Jason Castro doesn't suck. Uh, just none of them play George Springer's position. Right. Robbie Robbie Grossman uh, does actually play a position that <coughs> might theoretically be occupied, and uh, I think Robbie Grossman's also interesting. Yeah, so do the Astros. They offered him a long-term deal too, despite the fact that he's been a replacement-level player in his major league career. Yeah, well, they must uh, they must see something in him, something that Carson Sestouli also sees. Yeah, maybe. So I think, I mean, I am speculating here. I haven't talked to the Astros about this, but from my perspective, this is not what. Wait, do you know any sources close to the situation? Uh, I know some. I have not yet talked to them. Okay. I have I've not reached out to them for information. Uh, but since the Astros are, front office is made up entirely of of sabermetric nerds, yeah. uh, you know, they probably think not terribly differently than we think about things. Uh, they certainly have better information than we do. Um, but I think my guess is that the Astros are essentially doing uh, an expected value play. So in uh, kind of to borrow a, a phrase from poker, you understand that, you know, if you get to the end of a, a round and you're trying to decide whether to bet or fold, 
you know, all the cards are on the table, and it's, someone bets over to you, and you have to decide, uh, do I call the bet that's been made, uh, or do I just fold, because I think the guy has me beat. Essentially, what you're trying to do is figure it out uh, the number of times you have to win and the payoff on that victory in order for it to make it profitable for you to bet even if you think you've lost. So say you think there's a 75% chance that I'm beat. Most people would just be like, well, fold. It's, you're probably going to have lost. Uh, and if you fold every time, then you, you know, you'll three out of four times it'll be the correct decision. But if the value of winning that one out of four times is higher than the cost of losing those three times, you should bet every single time and not fold every single time. Uh, and this is basically an argument for magnitude of the win, right? So if you win $100 uh, when you win and you only lose 10 bucks when you fold, you come out plus 70 on those four bets. Right. Um, that's essentially what I think the Astros are doing. Is they're looking at it and saying, if we sign Robbie Grossman and we sign Jose Altuve and we sign George Springer, we sign Jason Castro and we sign... You know, every player we can get who's under the age of 27 to some kind of, you know, low-scale $20 million deal that buys out all of our beers and gives us a couple free agent options, we might be wrong on, like, six of these guys. Mm-hmm. And maybe we would have non-tendered three of them. And so we cost ourselves on those three or four guys an extra five or six million dollars. But then one of them, and it's probably George Springer, but you don't know for sure, turns into a superstar who we would have had to give $120 million to. We just saved ourselves 60 or $70 million, easily pays for the cost of overpaying all the rest of the guys. And you're basically covering all your bases and saying, uh, we're not going to have to have some monster, you know, Freddie Freeman type extension in a couple of years because we signed everyone under the age of 27. Right. So they, they think that Robbie Grossman, there's a certain percent chance that he will be that guy. And so they say, yeah, we'll include him in this collection of players to whom we're offering extensions. Right. I mean, basically you're saying you don't know in advance. Like right. there's no way to identify which player is going to break out. So you just sign everyone who could because the cost of signing them all isn't that high. And the one guy who does break out will save you the money. Well, they don't think it's J.D. Martinez. That's a fact. That's correct. Because they, they don't they, because they released him. Yes, they did. And they released him after we had already frozen the depth charts for the outfield positional power ranking. So now J.D. Martinez shows up as a reserve for a team he does not play for. That's a little annoying. Well, I'm sure I'm sure no one in the comments section will make note of that. Of course not. <laughs> Why would they? Yeah, no, they 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 never point out the things like that. <laughs> it's it, you know what it is unfettered uh, and unencumbered support, emotional yes. support. In, Absolutely. In, yep. The, the comment section is known for their uplifting nature. Yeah, it is. Okay. Uh, you know, actually, uh, with that little um, um, moment that we had with my grandfather there, we've we've uh, already passed the 30-minute threshold. But I do want to make note of one thing. Uh, you're aware that la- during last week's episode, I hijacked uh, sort of the last 10, 15 minutes of the conversation uh, so that we could speak to my car buying situation? Correct. Yeah. Well, someone made an amusing comment about that. Because uh, I did some more research on cars, posted over at Knockgraphs. Uh, just to make sure I had all the sites covered in the Fangraphs empire. Um, I was, you know, I was looking over uh, cars that might be economical relative to cargo space and uh, fuel efficiency. Someone noted that at this point, uh, if, if I wait long enough, it might be it might be just uh, just as cheap to have Stephen Drew. Uh, yeah, drive you around. Dri- drive me around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you get Kendris Morales to be like your baggage guy and yeah, Stephen right. Drew will be your chauffeur. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I could have like a whole wait staff based on Barry Zito could like be your navigator. So instead of having your smartphone, Barry Zito is just like, turn left here. Yeah. <laughs> so where is, uh, so here's a question. 
Where are well? Where, where is Stephen Drew right now? He's, it doesn't seem as though he's going to Detroit. You, Dave, Cam, no, no less a personage than Dave Cameron has announced that the D- Tigers don't need to sign Stephen Drew, even though Jose Iglesias is injured for. Uh, the whole season. Well, now he's out for the year. They've, the they've year. Ag- agreed that he's out for the season. With yeah, like no, the worst shin splints. Is that the thing? Well, no. He has basically two leg fractures. Hmm. Yeah, he has fractures in both his legs. So he's got. He's got two broken of, legs. He's got kind of sucky legs. Is that the he, he, he's got broken legs? Yes. But they're both injured. Both he has two broken legs. But they're not. not are they not yeah. from like blunt force? Right. They're just somehow yeah. has. They're fractures. Yeah. From what though? Running uh, around. Yeah, I mean they they just broke. Like his his legs did not support his body. I don't want to live in a world where legs just spontaneously break, Cameron. <laughs> I want there to be well, a reason. Yeah, I would imagine it was probably due to the athletic activities that he was participating in. Okay, but they're both sucky. They're, is the point? They're both they're both broken. Yes. Okay, that's terrible. Yeah, that's not so great for. It's like not an injury that should be allowed. It's like, oh, so your legs are broken. How did I break them? Oh, you know the thing that's your job. Yeah, and this is not just like this is like a pitcher. Oh, I, I was throwing ninety-five miles per hour in a motion that's not particularly, you know, reasonable for humans to be performing. Or someone stepped on me, or I bent my my body the wrong way. It's just from walking around, running well, around, but maybe running around, running yeah. around. But sure, but right. he's going to have to do that's his job. Yeah, well, but there's a lot of major league players who get hurt running around, right? Like their hamstrings pop, or they have you know yeah. tight quads or whatever. It's just has bad bones, apparently. Yeah, well, that's somehow it seems systemic. I don't know what systemic entirely means, but this seems systemic as opposed uh, you, to. You think all his bones are going to break? Like <laughs> next next year, Jose Iglesias is going to be out with broken arms. Broken. They're going to have to take out all of his bones. It's going to be a, going to be a bowl full of noodles. <laughs> okay, well, he would still have more range than Miguel Cabrera, probably. <laughs> okay. Wait, what the hell are you talking Oh, yeah, where's Steven Drew? He's not going to the Tigers. Uh, no, well, Tigers. Now, now they have Alex Gonzalez. Uh, and, uh, no, wait, some, say what? They signed they, Alex Gonzalez? No, no, they traded for Alex Gonzalez. No. They, they traded Steve Lombardozzi, who was one of the three guys they got for Doug Fister. For a player who, uh, as a 37-year-old last year, 36-year-old, uh, posted a negative one war in 118 plate appearances, which I shouldn't have to tell you, not good. Yeah, okay, wait, so did the Brewers still have his contract? Or was no, the, the, the Orioles signed him to a minor league non-roster invite, uh, brought him to spring training, and then somehow flipped him for a pretty decent young utility player. Hmm. Yeah. That was smart of them. Kind of amazing. Uh, that reminds me when this is also when includes the Tigers. But you know, at one point the Tigers decided that that um, uh, Jose Valverde was not for them. They said, "Oh, you, you know, relative to the entire human population, Jose Valverde is probably a good pitcher. Relative to major leaguers, he's not that great." Right. So they got rid of him, or they let him go. Yeah. And then they resigned him. They signed him again to a minor league deal. They did. And then they were like, okay, you pitch in the minor leagues. You're at least good enough for the minor leagues, they said. And he did fine in the minor leagues. I don't think he was dominant. He did fine. And then they called him up to the roster, and they made him the closer again. Yeah. The closer being, it's the announcement to say, when there's trouble, we'll give it, we're going to let this guy pitch. Yeah. They basically had a backup closer in the minors instead yeah. of a backup closer in the eighth inning. Right. When in theory, if you're like, oh, this guy's in the minors – when you call him up, he would be the reliever that you would go to in blowouts, for example, and other <laughs> low leverage situations. 
Right. The Tigers do some weird things. But they they are also, uh, after the Dodgers, the team most likely to win the World Series, according to Fangraphs.com. They are, because they also do some really good things. Like, uh, if you, you can do some weird things if you also uh, trade for Miguel Cabrera, draft Justin Berlander, sign Audubon Sanchez to a pretty good free agent contract, uh, you know, uh, trade for Max Scherzer and Austin Jackson. You, you can get away with some curious minor decisions if your big decisions are often very right. So the so the point with regard to them is they do some they do some curious things sometimes, but it seems to be working out for them. Uh, yeah, I mean I don't think the curious things they're doing are working out for them, but the the non curious things are working out swimmingly. Yeah. Okay. And oh yeah, so they have Alex. So Alex Gonzalez is the shortstop. Well, they just traded for him today after they traded for some Romine, not Austin Romine, that's like the more talented Romine. Oh, they had the other, they had the other Romine. Andrew Romine, maybe? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so they got the non-talented Romine, who no, also- No, I think he's fine, he's a middle infielder, I mean again, he's not, he's not a star, but- Well, he can't hit. Yeah. Right, so now they have like four shortstops who can't hit. He's at least, uh, under 30. And can play right. shortstop, which is two things that maybe don't apply to Alex Gonzalez. Well, right, but then like two days after they traded for Andrew Romine, they also traded for Alex Gonzalez, leading me to believe that they're not super sold on Andrew Romine. Well, if, I guess they, uh, what do you, what do you throw it against the wall, see what sticks? Is that a saying? Well, I think if they throw Alex Gonzalez against a wall, his <laughs> legs will look like Jose Iglesias' probably. <laughs> maybe, maybe this is what happened to Jose Iglesias. They threw him at a wall to see if he would stick. Yeah, this is one of their questionable methods. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. It's a little <laughs> curious thing they do. I hear they do a lot of bloodletting for, for <laughs> medical treatments, too. Uh, well, I think actually the Tigers have been pretty decent at keeping people healthy over there. It might be the Rangers that are doing bloodletting with, like, uh, now Giovanni Soto is out three months and Jerickson Profar is hurt and you Darvish might not be ready for opening day. And oh, I saw... Oh, I saw Jerickson Profars out 10 to 12 weeks with shoulder? Correct. Oh, that's terrible. Yes. So now they're going to have to go to uh, a young a prospect, potent, maybe, whose no, name, he, whose name you and going, I can't pronounce. Irugned Odor, he's going to the double A. They're not, they're not going to him. They're going to go to Adam Rosales. Unless unless they make a trade. <laughs> unless they put Adam Rosales on waivers. Yeah, right. Unless Adam Rosales gets claimed <laughs> in the next two days. Uh, the funny thing is now the Rangers become like the 31st Major League team to need a second baseman. Like there's like this epidemic of contenders with no second baseman now. Like the Blue Jays don't have a second baseman. The Yankees don't have a second baseman. The Orioles barely have a second baseman. Like there's a lot of teams that could use a second baseman. Yeah, and guess what? And yet Dean Anna languishes <laughs> yeah, yeah, behind uh, Kelly Johnson. Uh, no, behind Brian Roberts. I think Kelly Johnson oh, yeah, can right. play third. Right. Well, Anna could play third, too. Give him a he chance. Could. Dean Anna can play anywhere, right? You want to stick Dean Anna on the mound, probably. Well, I figure. I mean, Why what not? Do you, what do you think an average shortstop? I mean, it's, say say Anna's average defense. You may not be quite average. But yeah. like an average average arm for a shortstop, what, what is that? It was, I mean, that must, that must be 90 miles per hour, right? Eh, probably mid-80s. I think when we see position players pitch, they're usually in the 80s. And they're selected for the position players who have the best arms. Like, Johnny Damon doesn't come in to pitch in a blowout, right? Or Randy Wynn. Like, you know, these guys might be in the 70s or something. But usually when position players come in, it's like 86 or something. Oh, yeah. Didn't, uh, didn't, wait, who pitched? John McDonald? Didn't John, some John, John McDonald? John McDonald, he's pitched several times. I think last year the most impressive pitching performance was Casper Wells. Uh, he came in throwing like 93 with a pretty good curveball. He did? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So there's, yeah, these guys have played. Right. I mean, yeah, there are major league position players who pitched in college and, uh, you know, probably mess around with knuckleballs on the side and have Mitch pretty Mor- good arms. Mitch Moreland, I think, pitched. 
I believe that's true. Yeah, he can't play second though. No, no. Well, he could, but not well. Last second base, last first baseman to play second in the majors. I feel like Kevin Euclid might have done it. Oh yeah, I don't mean first baseman. Sorry, I mean lefty. But he was a first baseman. Yeah, so yeah, you don't see the left-handed throwing second baseman very often. I believe this guy Uh, also played third at one point, or for for just like an inning or something. uh, Terminal Sledge. I don't know. Did he? I, th- I think he might have. Okay. I was thinking, uh, Don, I think Don Mattingly did too, but Thermal Sledge would be more recent. I think Thermal Sledge might have. I could be wrong. Where can I find that sort of information? Baseball reference play index? Yeah, I'm, well, I'm doing it right now. I'm looking at positions. Yeah. Thermal that's Sledge. The, you want to look I'm for seeing, throws left and then check the second base box. I don't think he, I don't think he played second base. Okay. Well, maybe he I just first base. He played first I, base one time. Right. Okay, I, I, I could have made Don, that. Go ahead. Can I check out Don Mattingly? Do you mind? You can do, you can do whatever you want. Do you have a minute, Cameron? I, I do. You know what would I've you noticed want, is... Maybe that, your grandpa would like to turn on the TV while we he, wait. Yeah, I think he, he, I think he was upset with me. I was yelling at him. Probably. No way he could hear me. <laughs> so look at... Oh, yeah, look at this. Yeah, he played second base and third base, Don Mattingly. I wish we had video of that. That would have been fun. Well, yeah, maybe you could find it. He played uh, 18 innings of third base, actually. And he was a lefty thrower, right? Let me, I'm gonna verify that right now. Yes, he was. So, basically every time a ball was hit to him, he had to do a full spin to throw the ball to first base. Yeah, doesn't seem, uh, doesn't seem ideal. It seems inefficient. I would like, for not graphs, you should find video of this. He did, he did it in 86. He played 18 innings. It was, did he have any assists? Yes, uh, but he also committed an error. He turned a double play. He turned two double plays. I wonder how many of those were like step on third, throw to second or something. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah. His uh, runs, this is, wasn't this, uh, who used to do that? Sean, Sean Smith? Then he used to do the runs, fielding runs. Sean Smith did total zone. Yeah, total zone, yeah. Yeah. He was plus, uh, by total zone, he was a plus fielder. Huh. I, I think he, everyone involved, including Sean Smith, would say, uh, you don't want to use a defensive <laughs> metric for 18 innings. You think so? Yeah, I think I think that's not worthwhile. He did commit he did commit an error too. But eleven assists in eighteen innings. That seems like a lot. That seems like way like maybe a data error. That's so? a that's a lot. Can I go through the I mean at that rate you're looking at like what, six or seven hundred assists per year on over a full season? That seems like What's typical for a third baseman? I think not six or seven hundred. I could be wrong, but that seems very high. Dave Cameron wrong? That's that blows my mind. All right. Yeah. Wait. Actually, I mean, we could. Uh, I mean, I'm sure someone's written about this, but no one's writing about it on this podcast right now. Yeah, because uh, it's, it's hard to write on a podcast. Yeah. Well, you, you make a good point. You know, you can you can always be relied upon to make a good point. Also, Dale Barra played a lot of third base back then. Uh, for the for them. All right. Let's see, Pellyrulo, Pellyrulo. There he is, Mattingly. Mattingly. Uh, August 30th and August 31st. Okay. Yeah, there he is, August 30th and August 31st of 1986 at the Kingdom. Well, there you go. I was uh, five years old at this you point were five in time, so I, pro- I probably wasn't there. What do you care? Oh, I would have cared uh, if I if I knew who Don Mattingly was in 1986. Actually, so listen to this. Uh, this is this, the story is improving. You're gonna you're gonna be wrapped with attention, Dave Cameron. Bottom of the first, first batter, Jay Moses. Does that ring a bell, Jay Moses? Johnny Mo- Johnny Moses, maybe. Johnny Moses, yeah. Li- yeah. Batting leadoff for your Seattle Mariners. 
uh, grounds the ball to third base. Don Mattingly's first chance uh, uh, boots the ground ball. I wonder if it was a bunt. I wonder if they, like, knew, hey, there's a lefty playing third. Let's bunt yeah. at him. But guess what? Uh, Brantley. Mickey Brantley? Mickey Brantley. Mickey yes. Brantley, very next batter. Father of Michael Brantley. Current, Father of Michael Brantley. Uh, uh, Indian left fielder. Yeah, decent decent outfielder. Uh, ground ball to Don Mattingly uh, for a 5-4-3 double play. Yeah, we we got to find video of this. Okay. Yeah, uh, this is your task. Yeah, I got some other tasks. I got you. You ever heard of these dumb positional power rankings posts? <laughs> yeah. I, I have heard they're a little bit of work. Yeah, although luckily I get to split split my next one, so that's fine. Well, you you get to split them because we're splitting the pitcher parts in two because there are so many players to talk about per each spot. So yeah, I'm not yeah, talking you all, about every player. Teams, I'm not but... talking about every player, Cameron. No, I'm not yeah, we, about we, every we demand like. A full paragraph for every person on no, the No, I'm not cards. doing that. I already did my first four or five last night. Yeah, Actually, they, I started they, on they the wrong one, so I wrote up the Red Sox. I'm going to have to give that to Eno. Oh, well, you made less work for Eno. And probably higher quality write-ups for the for Eno's post now. <laughs> I don't know if he thinks that. Anyway, all right, get off the phone. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, though, Dave Cameron. You as well. Stick around for a second, though, because we, we got some plans to talk about. We do. Yeah. All right, that has been uh, that has been Dave Cameron, Managing Editor of Fangraphs. I'm Carson Sestouli. Been Fangraphs Audio.